So Money episode 828, Sarah Bliss, author of Take the Leap. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I mean, I have so many people coming to me and saying, I really, really want to do this. And I'm so excited to read your book because I think it's going to give me that motivation to do it. And, and, I, and I hope it does. I hope everyone who reads it will feel the confidence and to, to, to really go, go for it. Is this the year you're going to go for it? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. It's New Year's Eve, and you might be on the precipice of a big change in 2019, but only if you really want it. Today's guest is Sarah Bliss, and she's a New York Times bestselling author of 11 books. But today, she's here to talk about her most recent, which is called Take the Leap, Change Your Career, Change Your Life. And it profiles over 60 people who radically changed their careers. If this is the year you want to try something completely different, make a shift, this interview is for you. Sarah believes you're never quite stuck. You know, you might feel that way, but it's just a feeling. It's not the reality. And in her book, she showcases how 60 successful people transitioned to show readers that the life you want isn't as unrealistic as you think. Now, she Profile some pretty high profile people from Bobby Brown, the makeup guru, to Barbara Corcoran and Barney's creative ambassador, Simon Doonan, uh, NFL athletes. So just want to say, don't be intimidated by the list of names in her book. Sarah says she wants people to know that anyone can make a change, even if they're terrified of the process, even if they don't know how to get started. And if you're in need of some career inspiration today, Well, I hope this episode will help. Here we go. Here's Sarah Bliss. Sarah Bliss, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much. I'm so fired up to be here. Your new book is called Take the Leap, Change Your Career, Change Your Life. You're uh, not new to the book writing world. I understand you've written almost a dozen books. Some you've collaborated with other authors like Bobby Brown. Some you've written yourself. And you were saying before we were recording that this is the book that you feel you've always been meant to write. So take us to that thought. What why what makes this book so special and and important to you? Well, you know, I kind of I always wanted to be a writer and I kind of grew up worshiping Nora Ephron and and Wendy Wasserstein and but then I I kind of got I got out of college and I didn't really know how to you know, follow that route. But I did know that like magazines were kind of a way to, to get in the door. Um, I ended up being an art history major. So getting a job in magazines was kind of tougher than, than I thought I I started in the art world and then switching over. And I ended up at house beautiful, even though I really wasn't necessarily interested personally in design. And, um, but it was, they gave me some writing assignments and, and that's really kind of where, where I got my feet wet. But a little later on, I was able to do a freelance assignment, my first time uh, ever, for Christine Barbrick, who now, as you know, she founded, uh, she's one of the co-founders of Refinery29. Mm-hmm. And she gave me an assignment to profile John Robshaw, who then was like an up-and-coming um, fabric designer, and now he's blown up and, and is everywhere. But 
it was my first profile and I just loved it. And he told me all these amazing stories. He had like been an actor in Korea and like a tugboat deckhand for a while. And he had had these other lives beforehand. And I was as interested in that as the kind of success that he was finding now, like how people get different places really fascinated me early on. So I, and profiles really are that consistent. I've written about a lot of different subjects from beauty to travel, but profiles have been my consistent thread throughout my whole career. And I always wanted to write this book because I saw early on that the most successful people, they didn't follow this linear path. And there's something really, really inspiring in that. And the idea that you don't need to know what you want to do when you're really young and you don't need to find success necessarily right out of the gate that it can come later. And for me, that was very inspiring personally. And I knew it would be inspiring to other people. And I've, I've had this idea in particular for this book for over, over 10 years. You profile people like Bobby Brown, the makeup guru, Barbara Corcoran, who's been on this show, Simon Doonan. I love Simon Doonan, Barney's creative ambassador, Kevin Curry, so many such diversity in the profiles in Take the Leap. And I was reading about kind of your your revelations as you were writing and researching something that you'd said, I think in, in one of your media interviews was that you expected initially that everybody that you interviewed in the book was going to tell you that, you know, taking the leap made them much happier, but that it also came at a cost, that they were maybe making less money. Yeah. That wasn't the case. Why why did I I don't know if I would be surprised by that, especially given the caliber of people you profiled. But uh, what made you think that being happier meant making less money also? Probably there's some of that in in my own <laughs> in my own reality, right? As as a writer, I kind of accepted accepted really early on that, you know, I was going to be able to do this job that I loved, but maybe I wasn't always going to make a lot of money from it. I just kind of accepted that. And I think it also became a little bit of a reality. Um, and then I've, I kind of changed my own mindset on that and just realized that there were a lot of ways for me to make money um, as a writer. I've, I started this whole branding arm of my business that's been very lucrative. Um, I work for Bobby Brown and Aaron Lauder and um, some hotel hotel brands I, as a consultant. And I come in and I help them with everything from content to launching websites to speech writing to PR. I mean, I just, at this point, I have so much experience doing so many different things and I was able to, to monetize that. But going back to your question, I think, uh, I, I think that was probably at, coming from a personal place. And also, I don't know, you know, I, I think especially with jobs like travel or art, you just kind of assume in those creative careers that, that maybe, maybe you make less, but happily, I just counted. And I think 70% of the people in my book are actually making more. That's always good to hear. That's always good to hear. It's icing on the cake, I guess. But there is that saying too, that like if you follow what you love to do, um, that the, the money will follow, right? That the money will follow. I, I don't like to lean on these kinds of, you know, these kinds of broad statements or whatever you want to call them, because it can sometimes make you feel like you don't have to put in the work. <laughs> right, right. You have to right, put in the exactly. work. <laughs> it doesn't just exactly. happen. Well, one of the people that I featured in the book, um, Suisel de Pedro Cunningham, 
You know, she also grew up with this concept that maybe creative careers didn't make money. Her her dad was a really successful dressmaker and costume designer, and he did the costumes for bands like Menudo. Um, but he didn't really make money, and she associated it with having eviction notices on their front door to bills not being able to be paid. So she went to college and she decided to not, even though she loved art and she loved design, she refused to study it and studied, you know, politics and business and all all different things. And she went into advertising and she ended up getting laid off. Um, And during that period, she heard about a job as an assistant for a big designer and and she actually ended up going for it because, you know, she almost, she almost felt like she had nothing to lose. And she is one of the most savvy marketers. She has a firm called Tilton Fenwick also launched with a woman who switched over from advertising as well. And they have a bunch of partnerships with brands. They have fabric lines and furniture lines. They did a line with Target and they are absolutely have been able to do, be very successful as creative people. So I think for her, it was like this, this big awakening. And it's, it's great to have those stories in the book of, of people who were in creative careers or, or travel or what, whatever it is, whatever kind of passion dream job and, and made them very financially lucrative. Do you, do you, did you find that money was often the, uh, the headwind, like in, in other words, people who wanted to make the take the leap hesitated at first or didn't uh, initially because they were concerned what it would mean for their finances. In other words, would they be successful enough? Um, was that part of the risk assessment in, in most cases? I think hands down for every single person. And I also think one of the things that Sometimes people say when they hear that I, I write about this topic is, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's just something for, you know, people who were really successful in one career and, and were able to kind of save up a lot of money and, and, and only, only wealthy people can do this. And I really wanted to prove that that was, is not the case at all. Um, I have people launching startups uh, without, uh, money of their own to, to go into it. Um, there are a, a bunch of stories like that. I have a housekeeper who saved up her money and she became a restaurant owner. She just decided she wanted to have a different kind of life. There are a lot of stories in the book where money is a big factor where people absolutely have something to lose if, if they the new venture didn't go well. And it was really important to me to kind of prove that, to prove that idea wrong and, and show that it is possible. Cause to me, there are, there are a lot of books by career coaches and, you know, they tell you all the right things to do. And I don't necessarily disagree with their advice, but to me, the proof is when you see real stories of real people who have done this kind of thing, to me, that's the proof to say, you know what, you're actually wrong. And I have 63 people in the book that will, Hmm. you know, prove otherwise. What was the most radical leap that anyone in your book took that even surprised themselves, surprised you, and maybe to this day is you feel like it's not really um, something that others can do, but it's inspiring. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I mean, if it's not something others can do, I mean, most most of them are, but I think Scott Neeson really is, is someone, he was president of 20th Century Fox International. He was very successful. He was a totally self-made person, didn't graduate high school. Wow. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that story is super exciting. Just, just that. Right. But then he goes to Cambodia and he sees this extreme, extreme poverty. He sees these children who are sleeping and living and working in a dump. And he was called right then and there to, to help one of them get into school, to get her and her mother into some housing to end all of it and to get the little sister to the hospital and all of it cost $45 a month. And he went back every day and he found a different child to help. He came back to LA. He had 18 kids he was sponsoring and he told his friends he, he, he didn't want to have that Hollywood life anymore. He wanted to do this and everyone thought he was nuts. They told him, you know, look, you've got this beautiful yacht and this gorgeous girlfriend and this amazing house. And, you know, you're going out to dinner with celebrities. Like, why on earth would you want to do this? And he thought, gosh, maybe I'm having a midlife crisis. And then a year later, he actually did the move. And now he lives in Cambodia. He started the um, Cambodian uh, children's charity. And it's amazing. It's amazing what what he's done and how his life has changed. And it's super inspiring. Oh, and the kicker is that he never gave to charity before. Like he didn't believe in it. He always thought, you know, you don't know where your money's going. So that to me was, was really, really inspiring. How much of taking the leap is really about a gut check, right? Being really alert and in tune to your intuition to maybe like some people say like a voice told me I had to do it or uh, you have to be really in touch with yourself, right? To know and to be able to make that transition. I would think. You know, I, I have to say, I don't like that advice of go with your gut. I just find it's it's hard because I mean, I think we, we, we all do things where we think, Oh, that's a good move. And then it turns out not to be (laughs) sometimes it's hard to, and even in those situations, I don't always necessarily think my gut was telling me not to do it. Um, so I, but I do think that, that what, what you're saying is true in, in a way though, because everybody who, who did well and made these kinds of leaps, they were really invested in the idea. Right. So whether it was, kind of reliving a childhood dream or something that just kind of happened in their lives. And they realized like this whole other path was open to them. They realized that they, they had to do it and there was no one else to do it. Um, and that it was now or never. And that sort of major investment in the idea, I think is really, really what's crucial to everyone's success and the common denominator, because I mean, let's face it, it's, it's not easy to make a career switch. It, it requires a lot of planning and preparation and, and a lot of effort. And every single person in the book had like a ton of hurdles. There's no one in the book who it was like, oh, great, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and, you know, everything's going to go perfectly, except for maybe Simon Doonan, who had never written a word before he was 46. <laughs> and, but, but everyone else had a lot of hurdles. And so I, I think the fact that they, when you're invested and you expect hurdles, then that's kind of when everything comes together. Let's transition to your financial, you know, beliefs and upbringing. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier when we were talking about the the, the connection between happiness and earning, and you mentioned maybe that's something that you a mindset that you developed over the years growing up. Um, what would you say was your most pivotal financial experience as a kid or, or was something that you witnessed or experienced? You know, often we don't 
have parents that tell us or talk to us about money, but we learn a lot from their actions. Um, but then, you know, some guests have said, I had a lemonade stand or I was always really entrepreneurial. What kind of person were you like as a kid in terms of your exposure to money and your interest in money? I was actually always really into like getting a deal and saving. And I think part of it is, um, so my dad was, um, a merchant banker and he, we traveled between Hong Kong and New York. He had offices in Hong Kong and Singapore and and we kind of traveled all around the world for, for his work. And I remember going to the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul when I was 10 and my dad gave me a certain amount of money and, and it was supposed to last me the whole month. And of course there were all these amazing things to buy. And I ended up going to probably like 20 stands to pick up this. I wanted like a traditional Turkish outfit and, you know, writing down all the different prices that they gave me. And then someone and someone who was from Turkey taught me how to bargain and to fake it and to say like, Oh, I'm not interested. I'm walking away. And then they would come back with a better price. And, um, I always loved, I loved that. And I kind of learned the art of negotiating the art, the idea that you can always get a better deal. I don't know. It it made me kind of savvy about, about spending, I think. And also using your strengths, right? At the time, my strength was that I was 10 years old and and I was cute. (laughs) Yes. Well, no better place place to learn how to negotiate than the Middle East. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking as a daughter of Middle Eastern immigrants. um, That's awesome. I love that. So curious to know if that negotiating, that interest in negotiating made its way also into your life as someone who was then working and asking for money, negotiating a raise no, or any of that? No, it did not. It didn't. It, it made its way into saving, but not in terms of like how I saw earning. Like I remember my first book uh, was a book called Exotic Style because I had worked at House Beautiful. This publisher had found me and um, also I had traveled around the world. So it was a great fit. And, and I just wanted to have a book under my belt. And they offered to pay me $7,000, um, which was not a lot of money for spending months writing a book and picking every single photograph and coming up with the outline. And, but I took it because it was a book and I thought it would lean to something else. And I, I feel like a lot of my negotiating has been like, Oh, well, this is going to be a big opportunity for my career. So it's okay to take less. And this book was kind of the first time where I was like, no, this is such a good idea. My, and I had an agent that really ended up believing in this book my initial agent 10 years ago did did not like the idea for take the leap. She thought you had the idea 10 years ago for this book. I did. I did. And I, Yes, because I had interviewed so many New people. New direction. I, <laughs> Let's talk I, about that. Yeah. <laughs> I no, love that you had an idea that you held on to for a decade. Well, you know, I learned early on as a, a writer that y- you should not accept rejection, right? You just kind of keep tweaking. If you have a good idea, you keep tweaking. I had this uh, editor named Tony Freund who um, – worked at town and country when I was at house beautiful. And then he ended up being my editor there when I was freelance and, and at first dibs where he is now. And he gave me that advice. Like, Oh, if an editor rejects your idea, like, well, just keep it like tweak it, pitch it to them again. They won't remember or pitch it to another editor, like until you get a yes. So I always had that idea in the back of my mind. In this case with this book, 
I had two books on my own that, that one of which was supposed to be like a big seller and it wasn't. And my agent was just a little bit less interested in me. And so I pitched her a bunch of different ideas. And for all of them, she was like, Oh, that's a magazine article. And you really don't have a big enough platform to sell books on your own. And we don't have the the proof that you've sold a lot of books, your numbers are kind of low. So you should really look into ghostwriting. And I started to get all these offers to ghostwrite. So I really internalized this idea that okay, I'm a great writer, but I'm not meant to be the out in the world person. I, I'm meant to be the behind the scenes person. And I wrote all these books for other people. And, you know, some of the experiences were great. Working for Bobby Brown was great. And ironically, she was one of the people who actually pushed me back out into the world. She got an, a deal to be the editor in chief um, of Yahoo Beauty. And she called me up and, and said, do you want to be my senior writer? And she said, I want you writing, you know, with me, but I also write, want you writing your own stuff. And I want you writing the amazing profiles that I've seen you write for so many outlets. Cause I still was writing freelance for magazines and I want you to write these inspiring profiles. And so I worked there for two years and it was so good for my confidence. And it was such a reminder that like my own voice was a strong one. And my own perspective was a strong one. And I was getting really positive responses when I was writing these stories of people overcoming hurdles. And, um, I got a book, I found a new agent and I remember meeting with her. Her name is Alison Farja. She's incredible. And I, I pitched her five ideas and they were all in different lanes. And she said, let's do all of them. Like, this is your strength that you can write about a lot of different things and you, you need to be writing your own books. I don't want you ghostwriting anymore. And it was great. It was that kind of those two women were helped me kind of re-believe in, in myself and in my own ideas. And so then when it came to negotiate for this book, you know, we put together what I knew would be an incredible proposal and it got a lot of attention and we had a bidding war, which was so exciting. And, uh, and suddenly it was like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take like a small amount and just be like, this is a good experience and this will get me out there. I, I, you know, I need to be you know, paid well for this. And, and, uh, and, and, the, and it just changed my whole mindset about money uh, in relation to my work and also about me, I think. That's a great story. I love that you had Bobby Brown, not just as a mentor, but really a sponsor for you, right? She yeah. really like went to bat for you, believed in you. And that is a true gift. And hopefully we have that happening in all, all shapes and forms everywhere, you know, but to the extent that I think it was such an inspiring story, because to the extent that if you're listening and you can be that person, you can be that Bobby Brown in someone else's life, right? We all have the ability to lift others up and, um, Wow. Good for you. I'm so glad you got a bidding war. Well-deserved. Well done. <laughs> yeah, See, good things good. come to those who wait and never give up. So exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and, and th that's, um, that's really one of the messages of the book, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of never too late to, to follow your own, your own dreams and your own and pursue your own ideas. You mentioned earlier you had an idol, uh, the writer, the, the screenplay writer. What's her name again? Well, Nora Ephron Nora, and Wendy Wasserstein. Right. Nora Ephron was like 50 when her first yes. 
so she was older as well. She had hustled. She had started, I think, at the Daily News. Mm-hmm. She wrote for Esquire. I mean, she did a lot. There was a lot of hustling before she became Nora Ephron, the director and screenwriter. Right, right. Awesome. Good. Well, that means I got I got time. <laughs> <laughs> I got time, hopefully. But, you know, um, such a great book that you've written. Um, what has been some – I always ask authors this. I think it's always um, exciting and interesting to learn what they learn after the book comes out about anything and, any, and everything, you know? So one of the things that I kind of came to realize after writing my last book, which was about female breadwinners – was that in my own life, I feel like I was always trying to, um, you know, not apologize, but like try to justify how I got to be the breadwinner in my marriage, right? That I didn't want it to, I didn't want to give off the sense that like I, um, I demanded it, you know, <laughs> or like I, <laughs> I, you know, uh, but you know, the truth is the closer I got to the material and the, real, and the older I got to, and the more just like less BS, I was, manifesting in my life. I was like, I think that I was always supposed to be a breadwinner. Truly. I love that. I I don't think I could have had a happier path. Um, I am. And so it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's really saying, you know, it's an amazing role to have. Truly. I've always believed that, but that it's, it's not a role that you have to feel you have to excuse. Um, Sometimes you're just led down a path because that is what you're, what you require, you know, based on how you are raised, based on your opinions of the world, based on where what makes you comfortable, based on what makes you happy, and don't apologize for that, right? So I I've been more vocal about that, and it's made me come to have more peace with the whole concept, and I think be more intimate with the advice that I share with my community. So for you, I know it's kind of early; the book kind of just came out, but do you feel like you've had any sort of uh, aha moments for yourself or revelations? I think I've kind of realized what I've been doing all along with so many of these profiles and the way I've approached them is I really want to kind of get under, under the hood with people and really, really find out get into the struggles that they face because I want to motivate the people that are reading about them. I I really see myself as a motivator and inspirer. And I don't think I always saw the work that I was doing that way, but it's, it's evolved over time. And especially with this book, I mean, I have so many people coming to me and saying, I really, really want to do this. And I'm so excited to read your book because I think it's going to give me that motivation to do it. And, and I, and I hope it does. I hope everyone who reads it, will feel the confidence and to, to, to really go, go for it, to go for it and not wait anymore. Cause so many people have these great ideas. I, I'm, I know, you know, this and see this, there are so many people who have great ideas and, and sit on them and they don't do it. They don't. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, that's, it's more than seeing myself as just a writer or just a, you know, a branding person. It's, it's, I'm, I'm seeing myself in, in kind of the larger role. I mean, I, and it's always been that way. I mean, I've, I've written about people and, and their business does well or gets more attention or that's the beginning of press for them. And, and I love helping the people that I write about, but I also like, again, spreading, spreading really positive messages, especially right now. <laughs> yes. Especially right now. We couldn't use, we couldn't, there's not enough uh, positive messages out there. I think we no, can all just, add John to more. Yeah. There's just way too much 
negativity. And I'm, I'm really happy to be in, in this space, in this kind of super positive corner that, that I've carved out, carved out for myself. And again, it's not, it's not from, from staying away from the reality and, and the, the tough sides of things. Cause especially in this book, I didn't want it just to be about like cool career switches. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really wanted it to be about the transformational aspect and what people were looking for and what they were. A lot of people overcame some really big stuff for, by making these switches. What, I mean, PTSD or crippling anxiety. I mean, one, wow. Yeah. One man had agoraphobia. He, he was an IT guy at Xerox and he had developed these terrible panic attacks and he, he didn't know, he didn't have the language to, to deal with that. He didn't even know what a panic attack was. And he, he eventually became agoraphobic and he had a therapist say like, what would you do if you could do anything? And he said, I would work with my hands. And now he has a very uh, successful uh, custom motorcycle shop called Voodoo Choppers. His name is Eric Gorgeous. He is the host of um, A Craftsman's Legacy on PBS, where he interviews other craftsmen and people working with their hands. And he said, you know, obviously the career switch wasn't the the fix. It's not like he he doesn't have some anxiety, but it it, it his he it created this path for healing and this whole new life for himself. Well, the subtitle is change your career, change your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are at a new year, 2019. And I always want to ask guests this month, as it's, this is airing in January, um, about their financial resolutions. So Chase Slate is our sponsor for the show. And they did a really cool credit outlook survey. And they found that more than half of Americans would like to improve their credit score over the next year. Um, so what's on your financial to-do list in 2019? Oh, well, I want to monetize this platform in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And I want to sell another book. Uh, I want to do a follow-up. So I'm cooking up those ideas and there's a lot of different ways to make money from this project. So it's, you know, speaking and branding and, and really looking into those things and, and, and making financial, uh, making money really a priority. Yes. I think you can. I think you're on, you're off to a good start. You're off to the races here. Um, and, uh, I guess another question along those lines is, do you have any sort of financial philosophy that can help to create a framework for you as you go and try to accomplish all of those things? Is there any kind of like money mantra that you have? This sometimes is my first question, but it seems appropriate to ask now. Well, I think it used to be like always kind of safe for a rainy day because as a freelancer, you just, you, you know, one month you're rolling in and the next month it's crickets. So I always had this idea that there would be lack at some point. Um, and I actually think that that is a bad, <laughs> a bad mindset. I mean, I think it's good to be saving, of course, and I'm pretty frugal, but I also really think you have to kind of think in terms of abundance. I love all those money books. Like I love the badass books, Jen Sincero's books. 
I am very big on saying mantras about bringing um, money and abundance into my life. I do all of that hokey stuff. And, and I believe it because I think when you say that stuff, then it kind of gets into your subconscious. And what you believe in your subconscious is, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it kind of goes back to what I was trying to figure out earlier, which is that do a lot of these people that you profile, the people who took the leap, do, well, you know, it's a, a lot of it is mindset work, right? You have to, sure. maybe so it's not intuition or like believing if you just follow your passion, think magical things will happen, but that you really, you have to be your biggest advocate, Hands yeah. down, because you're going to have a lot of naysayers, even in your experience, right? You had this idea for this book 10 years ago. Um, you know, if you had just listened to everyone's opinions, we may not be talking right now. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think for every single person in this book, it was seeing themselves in a new way, right? Is having the belief that their crazy idea would happen and then, you know, manifest into, into a career for them. I mean, Robert Hammond is in the book. He, he was one of the co-founders of the Highline and I know Robert personally. And I remember when he had that idea and going to the first meeting at his apartment, it was like, I don't know, 15 to 20 of us. And it was one of those things where we thought this is the coolest, best, most amazing idea. I'd like to not tear down this old abandoned railway. But we also, I think there was a big part of, of me that thought this is a great idea, but this is just not going to happen. I mean, there are just too many hurdles, but Robert didn't think that way. He thought this is going to happen. And he just kept, you know, he had a a co-founder and the two of them just kept at it and would pass one hurdle and then go over another one. And then they had so much belief in it that all of a sudden all these people and very high profile and influential people like Barry Diller and Diane von Furstenberg, you know, started rallying around them and donating money and getting their friends. And then everyone got really excited and the politicians got excited. And Gifford Miller was a, uh, you know, a speaker at the time. He was a big part of this. And it became a reality. And so I think for any of these ideas, whether it's your, you know, your idea for a startup or someone wants to work abroad, I mean, I think seeing yourself accomplishing that and having this kind of unshakable belief that it can happen, even if it seems crazy, that's, that's kind of, that's a a thread that runs, runs throughout the book and the people that made these things happen. And it's not that they didn't have doubts or fears or worries, but they really kept at this vision. What a great way to start off the new year. Before I let you go, I would love to ask you some so many fill in the blanks, Sarah. Sure. <laughs> this is like, you know, we touched on a lot of career and personal and money st- stories and narratives here, but this is really meant to be simple, straightforward. Don't overthink it, but will hopefully give us some more insights into your financial mindset. So if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... I would donate half to charity (laughs) and then I'd take a trip around the world with my family for three months and I would keep writing. I think I would, I would, I would stay, stay doing what I'm doing. Writing is your, it keeps you grounded. It sounds. Yes. It's, it's like my key to sanity. I think I'm a happier person doing it. Even when I'm exhausted and on deadline at one in the morning, I think ultimately it, it motivates me. I mean, it's what I want to do when I have free time. How do you write? Do you write 
in with pen and paper? Do you have your laptop always with you? Do you do you give yourself like time frames? Like how disciplined are you? Oh, I have to be really disciplined because I have kids. So, and I do the majority of work when they're in school. Um, and then also at night when they're asleep and, you know, sometimes I, you know, I have a babysitter that'll help out like two afternoons a week and, and that's a very good investment, but, but I, I only have certain blocks of time and I, I just really go for it because you could spend all your time writing. I mean, you're never, ever done. So I've learned to get things done in the, in the time that I have. I think you give a mom a lot of tasks, she'll get it done. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm way more efficient with a my working time than mom I was. Especially. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I am, I hands down get 10 times more done now than I did before I had kids. It's that baby effect. It is. You just Jedi the crap out of your time, you know? <laughs> you, do. <laughs> you do. I love it. Okay. Um, one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is a babysitting. Yeah. When I splurge, like, you know, you really go for the jugular. You like to do a little self, a little, you know, self, uh, whatever, treat yourself. One thing I love to splurge on is dresses. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't think we've gotten that one before on the show. That's a new one. <laughs> but not, you know, I mean, my idea of, of expenses is, you know, it's not, not, not net a portes, you know, idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I feel like that is kind of the one, the one thing. I mean, and I, and I don't like a lot of moms, right. I always make sure everybody else has their stuff first. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to do this thing where when I have a check come in and I have something I want to spend on for myself, I do that first because I wasn't, I was always putting myself last and, and then, and then it wouldn't happen. So I'm, I'm, you know, with these little things, I, th- I think it's important. I think also it's important to reward yourself for hard work. You're preaching to the choir. I <laughs> am all for that. And we know you're already a good saver. So, uh, no, uh, no worries there. All right. So let's see when I donate, I like to give to blank because the river fund in Queens, they are the most amazing organization. It was started, um, by this incredible man, Swami, who literally started feeding people out of his house, feeding his neighbors, feeding people who were hungry. And now it is a food pantry. Uh, Robin Hood is one of the big donors. They serve a thousand people every Saturday and it's not just food. They do this thing from cradle to college. They help with social services and scholarships and all sorts of things. And it is the most loving and warm and incredible place. And if you have time on Saturdays and want to volunteer, they always need volunteers. And, um, I cannot imagine a, a, a better organization. I mean, I know there are a lot of amazing ones, but I'm so impressed by the work they do. Sounds incredible. Last but not least, I'm Sarah Bliss. I'm so money because? Because I'm finding success a little later and I'm helping other people do the same. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sarah. Congratulations. What a story. It's always nice to hear about authors sticking to their guns. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, you have to. And you have to. I don't know if our paths crossed at Yahoo, but I would think I was at Yahoo right before you joined. I was at Yahoo from about twenty ten to twenty end of twenty thirteen. 
We just missed. I think each we other. just. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I remember the announcement that Bobby Brown was going to take over the beauty, era, you know, portal vertical. Yeah. Um, and that was really yeah. exciting. Um, so, so I uh, hope we, uh, you know, cross paths again. But please, you know, don't be a stranger. And we look forward to all your continued success with Take the Leap, and, and continuing to inspire people in the new year. Thank you. And I love what you're doing because you're doing the same. You are really inspiring women to kind of take ownership and and think about themselves in big, financially successful and, and successful in life ways. And I think that's super important. Thank you. It's all about the hustle. It's all about it the, is. <laughs> it's all about it hustle. Is. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. To learn more about Sarah, please visit sarahbliss.com. You can also follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Sarah Bliss NYC. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, you can click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your thoughts for the show as well as your questions. Let me know if you want to co-host in the new year. And I'm always on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi, where you can also send me your questions via direct message and we can start the conversation there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Stay safe tonight. Enjoy the New Year's Eve celebrations or festivities, whatever your traditions are. We will just be sitting at home (laughs) watching the ball drop on TV while our kids sleep soundly because that is my glorious life right now, and I love it. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. See you back here in the new year, and I hope your day is so money. Money.